So if you listened to last week's episode, you know that we made a really big mistake last week. We, instead of uploading our newest episode, uh, we uploaded a clip, uh, a source file for that episode. It's, it was unedited. It wasn't prepared. Um, and long story short, we inadvertently uploaded the unedited source file instead of the actual finished product that we had. So I sincerely apologize for that mix-up. Uh, here at Five Plane Questions, we strive for the highest quality production, and we really dropped the ball last week. So that being said, uh, here is uh, last week's episode this week with the proper intros and outros and the edited material. Uh, this does put us off a little bit for new episodes for upcoming weeks, but that being said... Um, we will be moving forward with new episodes uh, coming soon. So stay posted, and we are back to our regular scheduled programming. Thanks. Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Playing Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bears. People in the community, they're doing great things for other communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of CANA, the Native American programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our indigenous communities from around the region and country. So we're going to do things a little different this episode. Instead of doing a regular interview, we're actually going to broadcast a lecture talk that occurred in the fall of 2020. Keith Braveheart was invited to USD to speak at the Oscar Howe Memorial Lecture, and he spoke on Oscar Howe. Now, I know a few months back we did a, a lecture talk from John Day, the late John Day, on Oscar Howe, who was his friend and mentor. Uh, this, uh, the, the audio is a little more clear on this episode, and it's great because we're receiving an indigenous perspective on Oscar Howe. Uh, while John Day was a f- close friend and mentor and presented a beautifully well-delivered story, uh, it's good to get the indigenous perspective, obviously, on Oscar Howe. So, a uh, brief recap on Keith Braveheart. Uh, he received his bachelor's at the American Indian Arts Institute in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and his MFA at the University of South Dakota in Vermilion. Uh, he's currently teaching at the Oglala Lakota College on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. Uh, the, the work Keith has done in South Dakota is incredible and continues to be such an advocate for arts and messaging for indigenous people. So without any further delay, let's jump into this lecture talk with Keith Braveheart. I just want to say welcome everybody. Um, I'm going to take my mask off now <laughs> so I can speak a little bit more clear. Um, but thank you guys for being here this evening. You know, you guys can smile underneath those masks if you want. I can tell some of you probably are maybe feeling the, the week, right? We're kind of getting tired. Uh, myself, I just drove five hours <laughs> uh, straight here. I kind of um, underestimated my time to get here, but I'm happy nonetheless, very, very happy. Um, I'm very, very thankful actually to be here because it's my first time coming back to USD in two years since I graduated. And um, I mean, I don't just come to USD for anything. (laughs) I'm here because of um, Oscar Howe. They um, uh, invited me to come here and speak and to share the lecture for the Oscar Howe Memorial. And this is something that would be in line with the Northern Plains Indian Art Market in San, or Sioux Falls this weekend if it was to take place. But due to the uh, COVID, we're not um, having that market this, um, this year. But the Oscar Hell Memorial Lecture, this is a big thing. This is a big thing to me because I've sat in, in those seats before and seen many lectures. Some of them are good. Some of them are really good. 
and some of them were kind of a little, you know, almost there. <laughs> but um, um, some of the best ones are the ones that left the impact on me. And they had that for a reason. It was because they were speaking to uh, a specific uh, energy, a synergy almost, that I still uh, really, really, I think, uh, have a lot of uh, holding in my heart for, for it. You know, I mean, art is important to me. And art was very much important to Oscar Howe as well, too, as it is with, I'm sure, most of you in here as well, too. So to gather around that is really uh, a great, great thing. So I just want to say welcome, everybody. Again, I also want to really quickly say some thank yous. I need to acknowledge Oscar Howe, of course, and his relatives, all of his relatives, his family, but also the relatives that aren't here in Vermilion or at USD with us tonight. I also want to acknowledge the memory of his wife, Heidi, uh, who I had the opportunity to meet, geez, about 19 years ago when I was at Oscar House uh, Summer Art Institute student. And she was so nice and, and um, doing this lecture, putting together this lecture that I'm going to share with you guys tonight, I got a chance to revisit her importance and what she did for Oscar House Legacy and it was pretty dynamic. So she deserves a good um, acknowledgement and uh, really a round of applause, but maybe we can hold off to the end. <laughs> I also want to acknowledge uh, Oscar's daughter, Inga Dawn, uh, Maresh, plus her family as well, too. I've also had the opportunity to meet Inga Dawn when I was at Oscar House Summer Art Institute student. And I'm really, really um, just so uh, much respect for her because uh, how she presents herself first and foremost as a, as a really strong um, relative, but then also what she's doing for her dad, you know, how she maintains her father's legacy and really what she's doing for his artwork. That's something as, as an artist I would hope to see, you know, my nieces or my son do <laughs> for me someday. But um, I really, really just appreciate her a lot for what she does for her dad. I also need to acknowledge and um, give a, a good memory to uh, John Day, Dean Day, right? All of you guys might remember, some of you might. Um, he was so instrumental to a lot of Oscar Howe programming and just a big advocate for contemporary Northern Plains uh, tribal arts. And he did a lot of work in his time, and a lot of people had to have known John Day if you were going to progress forward and be part of this, this sphere. And, and really what he did for uh, Oscar's legacy here at USD is truly um, uh, important to this institution. So I need to remember John Day. He was really a kind man, right? He's a good guy. I, I miss hearing his little voice. Um, I need to acknowledge the Oscar House Summer Art Institute. That's where I got my foundation. That's where I got my start. And we have um, um, members of that family here tonight. Um, we have students here. We have uh, staff. We have people who have <clears throat> supported that institute for many, many years. And I want to acknowledge all the instructors, the staff, uh, the students, and all of those who support it, especially from the community here in Vermilion as well, too. Uh, there was also many significant artists, guest artists and educators who came through that institute. And all of them are very prolific voices in contemporary Native art and they also need acknowledgement. There's a lot, too many to name, uh, so I just want to um, kind of umbrella that. And I also need to address Bobby Penn and Alta. Uh, Bobby Penn is a, is a big part of this community as well too, and especially the legacy of Oscar Howes that extends to me as well too. And I mean, look at that painting right there. That's one of um, um, Bobby Penn's paintings right there. I always want to see that when I come in here, and I'm glad that it's still there. Um, but Bobby Penn, he does deserve his own lecture as well, too. And um, I really wish that we had time for that. But I need to also acknowledge uh, the, the staff at Oscar House Summer Art Institute that was there when I was 
first starting, and that includes Gerald Knoyer and Kevin Bowman, uh, Tirza Camacho, Joe Williams, who's here as well too, and also Robert Kwana Penn, uh, Bobby Penn's son. There were some really, really incredible instructors that were so inspiring when I was young, and I, I really am thankful to call them my friends today. A lot of them are also USD alumni as well too. So uh, moving on, I also want to make an acknowledgement to Wayne Doc Evans, who was a, a part of this community, and he was also a big cultural support to the Institute, and he would come through and really help us so that we can always kind of keep this uh, center of what it means to be Wodakota, and, and really remember that that was what Oscar House Vision was about. So uh, I need to remember him and his family as well too. And then of course, I need to acknowledge Corey Nedler and his family. Um, I need to remember his kids as well too because they grew up through the Oscar House Smart Institute and they were helping set out the reception food and all those good things in those days and they didn't get acknowledgement, you know, but they were there doing it because um, they're good people, you know, and then Corey, without Corey, we wouldn't have the Institute as it is today. So Corey does definitely deserve a round of applause, guys, if you want to acknowledge him right now. <laughs> I don't think anybody ever has. So we need to do that. Okay, and then of course the College of Fine Arts here at USD and the USD galleries. I, I really do say thank you guys sincerely for all that you're doing, um, especially for this type of programming right here. Amy Phil, you deserve a round of applause as well too for uh, taking the courage to continue the tradition of having this lecture. So you guys, please, Amy Phil. And then finally, all of you guys in the audience, uh, USD and Vermilion community, especially the fine arts department, all of you awesome artists who are in here tonight, professors of the arts who I really, really um, have a lot of respect for. Thank you guys for all the support and guidance you gave to me whenever I was here. Uh, and then the students, no matter what department or degree you're seeking, I really appreciate all of you and I really um, uh, look up to you guys, <clears throat> and especially all of the native relatives in here tonight. Native students, you guys are, are really what um, I think encouraged me, okay? So thank you guys, that's a, just an opening. Let's, let's jump in, okay? So my lecture is called Continuum, and we kind of have a little shift in the um, font or the format, but Continuum, My Place in the Oscar Howe Legacy. And really it's my personal appreciation for Oscar Howe and his legacy. Um, I view his legacy as an artistic continuum. He's part of something bigger, and he understood that in his time, and I think a lot of us who have really, really looked into Oscar Howe's work and gotten so attached to what he was doing and felt this urgency to um, you know, give back to that legacy, we recognize that there's this bigger continuum taking place. It's very vital to our cultural existence as indigenous peoples of the Great Plains. Um, Mark was, was great to give that land acknowledgement, and that includes a lot of tribes that are, um, you know, the original inhabitants of this landscape. You know, this is still our identity. The land is us. We're the land as well, too. Um, so there's many tribes, not just only the Dakota, that really, uh, I think, um, appreciate Oscar Howe and also are a part of this continuum, all right? I say my place, but my place uh, is really kind of me telling some of my story my experience as an Oscar Howe student and staff member. I was an instructor. Um, I, was, I started out as a student, but I was very fortunate to come back or be invited back to be kind of like a student helper. And then I kind of raised up in the ranks and became an instructor. Eventually I became a coordinator one year and um, then assistant director with um, Corey as well too. So I've been a part of the Oscar Howe Summer Art Institute for 14 years. 
Um, and in that time, it was really uh, a great, I guess, uh, generosity that was given to me. So I'm very thankful for that. I'm going to share some of that with you guys tonight. And also just talk about who I am as an artist from the Lakota homeland. So I come from West River. All right. Once I crossed over this um, river and I got near, um, where is it, Fort Randall, I already started to feel different. Just kidding. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it's good to be East River. I do, I do like it when I come back out this way, but my homes are way out west. And <clears throat> I'm a relative. Relative is a perspective that we as Onchete Shakoni peoples have, and we extend that beyond bloodlines. We can view others with respect and appreciation and consider them as a relative and be able to uh, create nice uh, relationships that are very sincere, all right? My is also not really just my, it's really our. There's many people who should be up here giving this lecture and who maybe will never give the lecture. So I wanted to have them in mind when I was putting this together and bring some of that voice with me here tonight. So hopefully um, you know some of these people and maybe you can say, hey, Keith, I had you in mind at least. And these are all the many artists who, who would be impacted by Oscar Howe's creativity and passion for the arts. He had many students, not just native students. He taught here for 25 years. So in that time, he had many, many students. I come across a lot of them in my travels in South Dakota, and they always say the same thing. You know, what would any student say? Teachers, I should have listened in class. <laughs> I should have listened to him. I didn't know he was going to be that famous later on, but he always was famous. Okay, so again, I'm just fortunate to be here tonight, to be the one to be up on stage. Um, but there's uh, many of us who, who would probably say the same thing and who would really, really, I think, um, just... Uh, jump at the chance to, to speak about how much we appreciate Oscar Howe. Um, I'll also share some of my artworks in addition to some of Oscar Howe's works that I'm going to start with, uh, just to kind of give a little bit more of the um, overview of why his work and what he did in his life was so uh, inspirational to me and how that would help shape what I do as an artist. I also have other examples of artworks that include some of Oscar's students, um, that I wanted to share with you guys as well too, okay? So all of us, we consider Oscar our grandfather. He is the father of modern and contemporary native painting. It starts with him. So a lot of us who are in this art world, uh, who really wake up and put on our art shoes, um, we have to give thanks to Oscar Howe. We have to always be aware of why he is um, important to us. And we have to share that with the next generations, I believe, as well, too, okay? He's a groundbreaker for our arts. We all owe him deep gratitude, respect, and love. <clears throat> Excuse me, guys. So um, I just picked a lot of cool paintings that I really, really liked. It was fun to go through this catalog in a way and kind of have some pieces that uh, I never got to see or I did see, but I haven't seen in a while. I've included this um, quote by Oscar Howe, and I would like to start by reading it. The Dakota art of painting, its medium, technique, process, subject matter, and its qualitative aspects have given me direction, purpose, substance, and art, an art which is still in its original form, originality, unblemished, and unquestionably a true reflection of culture. Being a Dakota with a background of Dakota culture, I felt I should continue the art to use the ways and means of Dakota art for continuity and still keep the essence of Indian art was paramount in my quest for expression. In order to stabilize and validate this, it must work with 
or from the traditions and conventions. Its components remain Dakota to the core, regardless of individualization of art. And, and in that, he's, he's really articulating um, basically that uh, there, art to him is inseparable from his life as a Dakota person. Same philosophy I believe in as well too. Uh, art and life aren't separate, they coexist. Art and community, they coexist. Art and spirituality, they coexist. They're all one thing. And I think that the artists who, who really uh, gain uh, life experience and they have an incredible story like Oscar Howe does, uh, they realize these things. Bobby Penn, if he would be able to speak about it, he would probably articulate something very similar as well too. Um, the first time I ever seen Oscar Howe's work was when I was 18 years old. That's when I came here for the Oscar Howe Summer Art Institute. And I, I kind of just didn't know what to expect, but uh, on that first day, they brought us over here to the um, gallery. And John Day gave the um, overview of the biography of Oscar Howe. Then we got a chance to walk around and look at some of the works. This is the first one I saw. And this was the one that always stays etched in my mind when I think about Oscar Howe and that um, almost transcendent experience I had when I viewed this piece of artwork. When I was looking at this, it looked like it was alive. It was breathing, and maybe it was a, an optical effect of his painting technique, but I would later on understand that there was um, an element of energy involved in this artwork, what we would call in, um, in a cultural perspective as si chun, this energy that's been put into his work that he was creating, and he left it there, so some of his spirit, in a way, was still there, and I think maybe we had some sort of a, a experience, communication, so ever, ever since that moment, um, I've always looked at him as more than just an artist. He has a, a really, um, um, I would say, supernatural appeal to me, and I think to many other people as well too, whether you're native or non-native. But I, I love that painting. I love, that's one of my favorite ones. I wanna share his biography. So I could talk about my work tonight, and I would love to do that. <laughs> I could talk about many other artists. But if I'm gonna be up here, and I think that if we're gonna have a memorial lecture for Oscar Howe, we need to also provide his story. That's something that just should be a standard. We should all know who Oscar Howe is in this state if you're an artist. And there's not, you know, there's a lot, there's, I won't lie, there's a lot to tell you guys. So I'm gonna to try to breeze through some of it quickly. Um, but the, the bio, as you can see, um, his life, and he was born in 1915. Um, his uh, Dakota name was Mazuha Hokshina. He spoke Nakota. He was a Hunktuwana. A lot of people might think that he was Dakota, but he was actually um, both. He, he could speak Dakota and Nakota. These were just dialects. But he understood his identity, and I think some of that kind of gets brushed over sometimes that people might even, I've even heard people call him Lakota. <laughs> and I just kind of uh, chuckle a little bit because it's just a little bit of like a lack of effort to really get to know who he is. So I'm willing to do that with you guys tonight and with all these artists that I'm gonna share with you guys. Um, this is my way of like really trying to be organized. I think we need to, to speak these languages. His other name was Itancha, which is a leader. And you will see that he actually lived up to that, but he was also like a hereditary leader. It was in his blood. Uh, he's from the Crow Creek Reservation, which is central South Dakota, a little community called Joe Creek. When I think, when was it? 20s, maybe the 30s? There was only a population of five people. <laughs> so he comes from a very, very, very speck in South Dakota. But from that little small 
uh, spec, he would achieve greatness beyond any of our dreams, most likely. His great-grandfathers were, were chiefs. They were headmen. They were, they, were, um, they were Itansha. And they include white bear and bone necklace. I'll show you guys a picture of them here in a bit. His paternal grandfather was Unspeshni. That means don't know how. And that's how he got the last name How. Eventually, they just dropped the, the don't know, and they just had how, and then they added the E. So the, all of the, the relatives today, the descendants who have that how name, this is where their, their um, legacy comes from as well, too. His maternal grandfather, um, not afraid of bear or fearless bear, and then his grandmother, his maternal grandmother, Shellface, she was very, very influential to him. And in all his biographies, he would talk about her influence and how she was the one who provided him the content. But I really believe that that push of energy, this feminine power that's really, I think, the essence of creativity in Ochete Shakomi culture. Our origins for creativity um, begin with a deity, a female deity, a sacred, um, almost goddess. It's known as Unugite, the double-faced woman. You might see some of that in some of Oscar Howe's paintings because he understood that uh, that lineage goes back into very, very ancient times, into times where there was um, still evolution taking process. And a lot of, I think, that was still um, kind of intergenerational within his grandmother. So she transferred that into him because his mother, Ella Fearless Bear, she passed away when he was very, very young. So he was pretty much raised by his grandmother. How many of you guys were raised by your grandmother? Just raise your hands real quick, humor me. Maybe some of us, right? In native cultures, most of the time we are. You know, she's the staple. We have a, a, a matriarch within our family systems. And, and when that matriarch is gone, you know, we can definitely see the effects of how we uh, interact with one another as a family. Kinship is very, very big to our, our culture and to our identities. His father's name was George Howe, and then he would have his own uh, wife and daughter. He would make his own family, Heidi and Inga Don. That's not his relative, by the way. Um, I found this picture of a Yankee Dakota girl, but when I was looking at the face, I was like, man, that kind of looks a lot, very striking, similar to Oscar Hell's features in a way. So I was kind of wondering, maybe it is a relative, but I, I don't know if it is for sure. Here are his grandfathers, white bear and um, bone necklace. Take notice of their uh, regalia, their accoutrements, you know, the way that they present themselves. You know, that's uh, living art. You would adorn yourself. You wouldn't do it personally. You had relatives who cared for you, who loved you, who were the creatives, and they were all your female relatives. So they're making you this really beautiful dress, um, this shirt, this bag, this blanket, all of these things that you always show who you are with pride. Uh, this is something that is important to, to us as Ochete Shakomi people. Uh, they took pride in their appearance. And whether it's something very, very small, like just braiding your hair, it had to be as best as you can make it. And then it becomes very, very elaborate. So I think that would um, progress onward in the continuum into other art processes and art forms. You'll see this, that there's, it's not just like do the very, very basic and get by. It has to be, you know, a masterwork. Even in something as simple as your footwear, moccasins. And I want to just show that, um, the artistic expression serves purpose. It's practical, but again, conveying the urgency to put forth one's best. It also includes that um, very, very crucial element of kinship. 
your family made these for you. And they did it in a sacred manner. They probably had their, their mind focused on what they were doing and avoiding any kind of uh, conflicting thoughts that may be negative so that they can put their best energy, their sichu, into this as they give it to those that they care for. So it really enforced values and communal perspective. We're not one, we're all together. You know, we're, we're relatives. And we cherish one another as relatives, all right? But if you notice in the actual aesthetic, uh, there's about elevated abstractions. I, I love to speak about this to my students because I like to show them that, you know, the primitives, our ancestors, the ones who were nomadic and out there in the, in the sticks, they were actually some very, very supreme intellectuals. They had concepts of abstraction way before uh, any sort of um, concepts would come to be later on. Uh, they understood cosmology. Their, their, their observational skills were keen. They could look at animal relatives and even insects and even plant relatives and notice certain ways how they were functioning as a nation and they would adopt those certain kind of, um, I guess, movements and protocols. And they would start to really like advance their own society. But in their artworks, it may seem simple, may seem very essential, just basic color and shape. But there's more to it. There always is much more to it. Um, but a lot of the materials would, of course, be earth-based, very natural, such as quilts from the porcupine, but they would evolve into um, trade goods, such as beads and brass and uh, other fabrics and things like that. Here's another example of one of our artworks. It's a parflesh bag or parflesh case. Um, the nomadic people of the plains, they had a purpose to always be moving in alignment and attunement with the rotation of the world. There was a place they had to be with each season, each season, right? When was the autumn solstice? Just a couple days ago? That would let us know that we needed to be somewhere in this area. People might say sacred sites today, but we understood them as that's where we need to be. That's our connection to the land. And it wasn't just us that we were like, oh wow, we're, our, our minds are that open as human beings. We were looking at our relatives. The buffalo led us to these spots. They were being led by the stars. So this whole concept of star knowledge, that's where it kind of comes from. But with that, you're always on the move. You don't have enough to like take a really nice oil painting with you. So you kind of have to have your, your, your practical goods, your, your utilitarian objects, your envelopes, your, your casings to take your wasna, your dried meat. But you can easily keep it at that or you can go a step further again and really deck it out, make it really beautiful adorn it, but also maybe go a step further in your thinking and actually put in there uh, geo uh, geographic mapping. This is a, a map, a visual map, an abstract map that tells you where those sacred sites are. Where do you do this? Where do you do that? But I also like that one on that side because of the, the artist, mostly going to be um, our, our female relatives. Look at the line work. It almost looks like a net, but I like to think that they were kind of starting to try to like challenge themselves into creating some sort of a optical effect with line work, you know. So again, it shows very much creativity and this urgency to push yourself forward. Other artworks that are very significant to our, our culture um, really rely on drawing. Uh, just like any other um, kind of ancient culture, you're always making a mark somewhere, whether it's in the sand or if it's on a, a, a cliff or dwelling or eventually onto some sort of a surface such as this winter count. And it would just be a, a communal effort to, to really share the history, start to document it. We realize that it's important to say what's taking place and we start to leave our history. Um, our 
history is mainly an oral history. It's been verbally transferred from generation to generation to generation. But when the um, winter count, we would start to actually see something uh, physical, uh, a visual. And um, I really love these. And I like to have conversations with my artist um, peers when we think about this. Uh, when you look at it, it's a glyph. It's a glyph. It's an icon. And my um, kola, John Golson Center, who was one of Bobby Penn's good friends, he always says that you click on that glyph and there's a plethora of information, knowledge. And then that's what it is. There's more to it than just a horse. Um, and I always really get a kick out of this. Those of you who are interested in American Indian um, studies, but one of my studies of all of these um, winter counts, the very, very first year is always marked with junta ceremony, making relatives. So again, that really shows you that making relatives is very important to the people that they start every winter count with that in mind. Um, the oral traditions, like I said, they were passed on to how by his grandmother, Shalfei. She lived in that time where it was like a transition taking place. She had, you know, lived these ancient ways, these more traditional uh, lifestyles, and they were quickly changing. They had changed whenever Oscar was born, so she was transferring that onto him, and that's really what he would take on. Uh, his work might not look like this, but it was still serving the same purpose, I believe. Um, and just to give you guys context now, as we start to move into like the history of what's taking place in our landscape, 1851, first Fort Laramie Treaty between U.S. and the Sioux, plus our other nations that are in this territory as well, too, uh, to make way for the Oregon Trail. <clears throat> 1862, Dakota Uprising. Uh, well, they say Sioux Uprising, but really it was, it was just a, a really, um, I would say, intense struggle. Um, and it really is one of those histories that people on this side most definitely should be aware of. And I have to bring that to my, my relatives out west so that they can know what our relatives out here went through. But um, Oscar Howe, he was a, a relative to, to those, Isanti, Dakota. And um, the artworks in this time, they were also changing, as, as it's just um, <laughs> obvious and normal. Um, the introduction of new materials, such as pencils and papers, allowed some of these men who no longer had the uh, freedom to be able to express their masculinity the way that they used to, uh, a new outlet. You know, some may think that they were imprisoned and they were forced to like totally just like assimilate or die. But I think a lot of them found uh, artistic avenue and we don't credit that as much, but I, which I think we should because we also see that the power of art was there. Instead of letting these men uh, really kind of take the, the bad way out of that situation, they found a good way out. And we are left with these. And now these are prized possessions to come across. Uh, here we have one. There's many ledger arts that are out there. Uh, some of the original ones. Um, and one of my favorites is uh, Lala uh, Tunkashila, Grandfather Sitting Bull. And he made this nice drawing here. And his memory is, is, is really um, incredible. He's not remembering yesterday. Or he's not sitting there studying a still life. He's thinking back and unlocking his, his um, experiences from when he was in his youth. And he's doing it in rich detail. Even if it doesn't seem like it's super representational and very, very realistic, that's okay because, I mean, look at the, the horse. You know, he had to have known that. He also remembers that, uh, that moment. And I think this is a most definitely a courting scene. So he's probably singing a song or who knows, he probably has some sort of love medicine that he's uh, shooting at that 
that woman, she looks like she's ready to fall over. Um, <laughs> but I always say, um, Singbo is our first artist, our first native artist, because he signed his work. He took ownership. He said, this is my drawing. This isn't um, Gaul's drawing. This isn't Rain in the Face's drawing. This is my drawing, Sitting Bull's. And um, maybe we don't think about that. Maybe we only think about his um, stature as a chief or maybe his untimely death, which led to Wounded Knee. But we should also consider him an artist as well, too. So again, to continue with the context, 1868, second Fort Laramie Treaty that really kind of started to set the stage for what would take place and affect all of us as um, descendants of our relatives who signed that treaty. 1872 to 1890, slaughter to near extinction of 30 million buffalo, our teoyate, our relatives. 1876, battle at Greasy Grass River, Little Bighorn, to those who might not be familiar with the Greasy Grass term. Um, 1877, a year after, Crazy Horse killed. Uh, 1890, Sitting Bull killed. 14 days later, Wounded Knee Massacre. And uh, Oscar, he made a piece of this. This is one of his strongest pieces, undoubt, you know, without a doubt. Um, one that we don't get to see too often. One that I always want to see in person. I think I've seen it once, um, but you don't get a chance to see this one. And it, there's a really nice story behind this piece as well too. Um, I mean, you could sit there and, and have an analysis of the whole visual of the artwork as much as you want. But um, some of the, the other, like, I would say, more positive sides to this story, uh, this was gifted by his wife. She's the one who selected a piece when Oscar was in 1960. He was on the show, uh, This Is Your Life. Um, some people might know what that is. <laughs> um, but basically, it was a television show and, and Oscar was a guest. And the producers of that show wanted to purchase a work from Oscar. And they asked him, and Heidi, his wife, is the one who took this one. And they gifted it to President Eisenhower then. And now it's at his museum, I believe, in Abilene, Kansas, right? Is that where it's at? Um, so there's a lot of works out there. There's a lot of Oscar Howe works, but I don't want to spend too much time talking about this one, but I'm always happy to have a discussion around this one if anybody's interested. <laughs> Okay, Oscar Howe, he, um, he would go to school at the Peer Indian School throughout his youth. He had a hard life, and this is well um, documented and, and discussed, but he had a, a rough life growing up, and um, he didn't let that stop him. He actually progressed forward, and he did very well for himself. And um, after he had finished at the Peer Indian School, he came down with um, tuberculosis, in 1935, and that took him to Santa Fe, New Mexico, where he was um, brought into this new program called the Studio School by Dorothy Dunn. This is pretty well um, known in uh, Native art history as well, too. But there he was given this opportunity to start to kind of gain skill of, of art making and also be encouraged to try to start making some sort of a um, sale transaction through his work. I think his first piece went for 50 cents, <laughs> is what um, John Day used to say. But here you can see his, his class, and there's some notable names in there, most notably Alan Hauser, who's in the front, very much the, the father, our grandfather of modern native sculpture, and then Oscar Howe's the, the tallest one. You can tell he's Ochete Shakoni, Dakota. He's pretty tall compared to some of the Southwestern natives. Here's a piece that he did while he was down there in Santa Fe, uh, very much inspired by the Kiowa Six, and um, very, very flat. A lot of people would, would call this style the the Bambi art style. Um, following his 
his um, completion of the studio, he re returned back to South Dakota and he was given some great opportunities through the South Dakota Works Progress Administration Artist Project, WPA. And he would do some murals, so I wanted to include this because I know we got some mural artists in the house, right? So give you guys yourself a pat on the back and a round of applause. <laughs> murals are awesome. And Oscar Howe also got down on some murals. And here's one of his most uh, um, well-known ones, which were the 10 panels at Mulbridge that he was commissioned to, to, to paint. And they tell um, history along the Missouri River and ceremonies of the Sioux. This is a, one of the ceremonies of the Sioux, courtship and marriage. And I thought this one would be fitting to transition into the next slide because during this time, Oscar Howe was also um, called into active duty in the U.S. Army, and he was taken overseas. Uh, he was actually given a 12-day furlough to complete these murals before being sent off. So that's also pretty uh, <laughs> nice too, right? 12 days to hustle and get these big, big murals complete, if any of you guys have ever seen these murals in person. And while in uh, the service and in Germany, uh, How Oscar Howe met, um, met his wife, his future wife. Uh, at the time, they, they fell in love, um, and he had to return. So they got engaged in 1945 before he returned back here to the U.S., and like I say, talk about long distance relationship, right? In the time before social media or phones or anything, they, they might have been sending snail mail, possibly. But that's, that's commitment, right? And for her to still stick with him and do all of these great things that she did for him, I mean, that's, that's love right there. And I really, really appreciate that as well, too. Well, how returned back to the uh, U.S., this is the style of his painting at the time. It was still pretty much inspired by that um, studio kind of style. But um, he was also doing very well for himself. He actually won the grand prize at the uh, annual National Indian Painting Competition at the Philbrook um, Art Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma. With his prize money, he sent for uh, Heidi to come in, uh, into the US and they were married uh, in 1947 in Chicago. With the support of his family and his new family, because he also had his daughter Inga Don in 1948, um, they moved to Oklahoma, and Oscar Howe started to get pretty good commissions. One uh, most notable was illustrating uh, a volume um, of some Indian costumes, North American Indian costumes. But with his GI Bill, he also went into uh, higher education. He, he was seeking out his um, bachelor's degree, and he went for, um, I think, a BA at the Dakota Wiseland University in Mitchell. And while there, he also, I think, really like, um, stood out. A lot of people recognize his greatness, and he also became the artist in residence. And in his senior year of um, his bachelor's program, he was also the head of the department. So that's pretty impressive as well, too. And then he also would get the famous uh, uh, Corn Palace <laughs> commissions. Everybody loves the Corn Palace, right? Um, yeah, he, he, he was big over there in Mitchell. And I think that was one of the, the best communities to him overall. So he always would have really great things to say about Mitchell, I think. And that's maybe another one of the things that kept him here in this location of kind of like the East Riverside, I believe. Um, but he was offered a teaching position there when he finished, but he went on and he was going for his master's. So he went to OU, Oklahoma, or University of Oklahoma, 1952 to 1954. And you can kind of see his, his um, experimenting. He's doing an oil painting here, which is normally not really what he's known for. But I like to think that he was really like being inspired by that, that, um, that whole experience of being a graduate student and maybe like being told what to do or just try new things, looking at his peers and, and wanting to do something different. This is his thesis work. 
This is where he made that shift when he was in graduate school. And this one, I think, is the most notable piece that he did from his, his thesis year. Uh, very, very groundbreaking. Total shift. You know, nobody was doing this at all at the time but Oscar Howe. And people say what they will about how he came to this conclusion to make work like this. And, you know, I would agree that he was aware of arts. He's a graduate student. He's probably just like how I was and being told, look at this artist, look at that artist, or here, let me write a name down for you, you know, things like that. So he might have been looking at artists. He was most definitely studying world art history, I'm sure. But he would always be very confident and say that the very much structure of where he gets his influence to make work like this comes from Tahokmu painting, spider's webs. And it was something that I think it is there. Um, and I think that it was really taking the best of, of all of it. That's what we do as a graduate student. That's what we do as any kind of student, right? We try to take the best of everything that we can, be resourceful and see what we can make stick as we start to put it together. Um, so most definitely maybe looking at cubism, orphism, futurism, a lot of people will make their case for those movements. But I would also even look at like, you know, he's just come back from World War II and he didn't have a chance to like really engage in what was taking place in the trends of, of art, modern art. So maybe he was playing catch up in a way and, and looking back at things that were taking place uh, in Europe while he was busy, you know, providing service to his country. And maybe he looked at Russian art. Maybe he looked at Malevich. Maybe he looked at Kandinsky. Maybe he looked at theory that these um, artists were writing at the time. Maybe he looked at American modernism, such as Hartley, you know. Maybe he looked at the Harlem Renaissance. I believe when I look at pieces by Aaron Douglas that there's a kind of a little bit of a similarity. Most likely, maybe not. I don't know if I can prove that, but I would probably really dig more into research if I, if I really, really wanted to see if I can prove it. Um, 1953, <clears throat> he was named the director of art at the high school in Pierre until 1957, after he had completed his program, his graduate program. And he didn't really, I think, um, feel satisfied with that. Um, he, he, he wanted to do more, I believe. So he came to USD in 1957, and he became the assistant professor of art, artist in resident and artist director our assistant director, I'm sorry, at the W.H. Over Museum. He was a professor here for 25 years. This is his most famous piece that has a relation to his most famous action, his protest statement in response to his work being rejected from competition in the annual National Indian Painting Competition at the Philbrook. They had rejected this piece and, and told him, uh, or described to him, that it was not traditional Indian painting. So I won't read the, the response letter, the famous response letter, but I'm sure it's in the gallery, right, Amy? You guys should go read it on your own if you haven't yet. Um, but this is the piece. I'm sorry for the quality. I mean, it's hard to get a good picture of this piece, but I'm sure it's down there at Philbrook. Probably has it now. I don't know, do they? Um, but many honors would start to follow his life now. He would just shoot to stardom. 1960, first South Dakota artist Lariat. 1973, first South Dakota Governor's Award for Distinction and Creative Achievement. A few years later, his students would get that as well too. 1980, Arthur Amiot would get the same award. 1992, Bobby Penn would get the same award. And now we move into his Summer Art Institute. 
1960s, while he was here, he wanted to give this opportunity to these students, these um, relatives from the uh, tribal homelands in our state, in our region, and help them start to kind of emerge. And he would push them and encourage them to really be who they were, but to try to like make artwork that matched that greatness of who they were. And in the same time period, we have um, the Institute of American Indian Arts, which is really, really flourishing. And these artists that were like Fritz Shoulder, who had an opportunity to work with Oscar Howe, Alan Hauser, who was um, Howe's peer, they were the, the faculty at IAIA. Howe could have as well too. He was offered that opportunity, but he wanted to stay here in South Dakota, his home. He wanted to work with his relatives. And through that, I think he really had a small group of students, but they matched anything that was coming out of IAIA that was really like, you know, very, very incredible of, of the time. Don Montalo, who's here in the small corner, he would go to IAIA, he wouldn't stick here, but other artists would stay here, such as Herman Redalk, who's actually a little bit older. You can see Herman in the center. Here's a piece that he did, very much inspired by Oscar Howe, most likely guided by Oscar Howe. And I always think about this, I'm like, man, um, a lot of artists wanna try to replicate Howe's style, and maybe they do so under his watchful eye, but still, nobody can come close, right? It's hard. <laughs> to get as, as, as good as the master. But Herman Redalk would also be a legend as well. Arthur Amiot, here are some of his early pieces that were very much in, in under Hal's influence. You know, he would have his own distinctive style as well too. Many different kind of, um, I guess, aesthetics that he would work with, but I really liked his approach to Hal's style. A lot of people really focus on the, on the men that were Oscar students and they kind of forget some of the females um, one that's very, very much a, a big standout is Colleen Cutshaw, and she has a great, great uh, career herself. If any of you guys have ever been to Little Bighorn, if you've ever seen the monument there, the, the wire ledger riders, she helped in designing that. So I'm, I was really happy to, to see her do that. And then, of course, Bobby Penn. Bobby Penn um, was, you know, had his own aura, his own shining brightness. And I think a lot of people who knew him most likely would probably, you know, say, speak to that as well too. I never got a chance to meet either Howe or Bobby Penn, but I do understand their greatness. And I really like Bobby's handling here. And I think he was being influenced by Oscar Howe's, what he was doing, but he was also really, really searching hard for his own lane as well too. Here we have Bobby's um, bio, okay? His name was actually Wichakbi Star. He's Titua, so he's still Ochete Shakomi, but he's Titua. Sichangu Lakota Brule is what some people would say. And he's also Omaha as well, too. Oscar's protege. He's very important because he would take the reins of the Oscar Howe Summer Art Institute in the 1990s. Joe can tell you stories of, of Bobby Penn. He was a student underneath Bobby Penn. You know, and I throw in my little painting that I never met Bobby, um, but I knew some of these other guys. And at the moment, that generation started to develop their own place in the continuum that was um, our art. And, and they all have um, their own greatness as well, too. And they deserve acknowledgement just as much as anyone would, okay? But they all stand, too, from Oscar Howe. So the Dreamcatchers, if any of you guys are familiar with that group. Now I'm going to show you guys some of my work. Um, I was a student, like I said, and when I was 18 years old, I came here as a summer art institute. That's the first time I ever got an opportunity to really engage in art. First time I ever seen anything called native art. 
especially contemporary or modern native art. Um, at the time, I was focusing more on figurative work, portraits, very much inspired by different artists as well, like T.C. Cannon and Fritz Scholder, many other artists that are out there as well. But I was really trying to find my place as well too. And like how I was really interested in the stories of who we were and not just my own Lakota Ogallala history, but <clears throat> the shared history of my relatives in this landscape. I went to IAI. I made my trip, trip down there. It was a life changer when I came here to the Oscar House Summer Art Institute because I definitely knew automatically on that first day when I saw Hal's work and when I got that whole just um, sense of what it was to be an artist, I said, I want to <clears throat> be a Lakota artist. I want to make the commitment to go whatever route I have to to make sure that I can provide that to myself. So I went to IAI and while there, I focused on photography and printmaking most, mostly, and I painted in my dorm room. Um, <clears throat> but I loved painting so much, and that's kind of what started to come um, more to me, more and more, and I, eventually it would just consume me, and I would just only paint. I got my bachelor's uh, in fine arts from down there, and then I returned home as well, too. And I mean, I, I got life experience. I, I got jobs that weren't fun at all. Um, but I didn't lose track of trying to still stay uh, committed to being an artist, even if that meant painting at the kitchen table or um, painting from 12 to 6 in the morning when everybody else is asleep, things like that. Um, and it wasn't just only for, you know, the hustle. You know, I was starting to get involved in the Northern Plains Indian art market, plus other art opportunities in, in the state. And my work was slowly getting out there. And I was talking about who I was. You know, things that are personal to me, like my family, my experiences, things that I saw as being indigenously authentic. And I was also inspired by Oscar Howe. You know, I never attempted so much to try to recreate his, his style, but I would bring in that kind of thinking. You can see it here in this piece. You can definitely see it here in this piece. I always thought that Howe did such a great work um, using this abstracted form, this abstracted figure, and I think that that served me a purpose where how would I paint or try to attempt to create a transcendent figure, something that's very sacred, you know, it's very shapeless. So I rely on, on Hal's influence to help me in doing things like that. And I would tell more of our creation stories, our oral traditions, uh, a lot of these narratives that, this, that talk about the landscape and the, um, I guess, um, origins of, of all life forms in this world. <clears throat> I paint. I love to paint. That's all um, <laughs> I dream about. But it's not all I do. Um, I also do other art forms as well, too. And I, and I really had a great time uh, period in between undergraduate and, and graduate school because I got to go out there into the communities and live life and really try to do other things. And in that time, that's where I kind of got really involved in, in these cultural initiatives to, to help share stories. Um, I would say Ikche voices, the common people's voices are grassroots, people who don't get the opportunities or privileges to have their voices heard. So I worked in um, uh, Sichangu land, Rosebud Reservation, we made this film right here. And I'm very thankful to Inga Don as well too, because during this film, I reached out to her to ask for permission to use some of Oscar's work in that film. And she was very, very kind, very generous, and she allowed me that. So that's another reason why I really appreciate her as well too, because she could easily just said, you're not a big name <laughs> filmmaker. No, you know, I'm not even going to reply, but she did. She really replied. 
from that film, we created this traveling exhibition that was a big, big, um, you know, gathering, you know, investment. Many, many artists, many people came to this, and we, we did a, just an extraordinary thing. It's, it's hard to explain, but it's like we're showing artists that it's not just about making something and hanging it on a wall or putting it on a pedestal. There's much more to art, and we're starting to kind of feel more empowered to how do we create those opportunities. And I have to thank uh, Corey, because all during this time, I was still working here in the summers as the Oscar House Summer Art Institute, and Corey talked me into applying to graduate school here. And really, I, I wanted to come here because I wanted access to Oscar's work. I wanted to look at it and study it. I always had a lot of interest in this piece right here. I see it so many times, but when I actually came here, I got a chance to look at it more deeper. And calling on Wakantanka, it's a very, very um, complex work. There's a lot of um, epic nature to this piece. I think of it as, as this big film still. And from that, I would get uh, inspired to move into my thesis work. Those who may remember, this is my thesis work here, which is talking about this narrative of the origins or the creation of the universe through these figures known as Wankantanka, this collective, the spiritual collective. Um, but in the narrative, it's also described as as having figures involved. So I made these paintings, and it was my first time working in oil painting as well, too. Um, so a lot of thanks to Amber, you know, a lot of thanks to Corey, many of the instructors who really helped me develop more of what I was gonna do while I was here, instead of just running around lost. <laughs> um, but also thanks to the students who, who were the models as well, too. The figure models, and for them, just being patient to hear the story as I told them what this was all about, and for them to give their likeness to that effort and for them to see the finished piece as well too and everything like that at the opening. <clears throat> that was a really good memory. And I don't know if any of these students are still around. I know Inkpa is out there somewhere because I was just on a Zoom with him yesterday. Um, those of you who didn't see this show, um, it's going to be on exhibit again. And like Amy had mentioned, we created this, or I'm curating now with the Octa Lakota Museum an exhibition called Creation Story, and we're going to use this body of work. It's going to be the first time it's shown since it was up here. And I've also had the opportunity now to invite eight artists who are Ochepe Shakoe in, that they're going to each create a work as well too. And then as we move forward as a traveling exhibition, there's opportunity for eight more artists to start to come into it as well too. So that's really what I'm, I'm involved in now is like really curation and organizing and trying to create some opportunities for, for other artists and for students. As I was exiting here at the program, I, I had a good opportunity to sit in on a seminar class with Amber um, about community engagement. And from that class, I was inspired to create this image, recreate this image, but do it in a way that was going to address that. What does that mean, that pile of buffalo skulls? And I created these, this project, what's called Buffalo Nation Creating Community. And with it, we have all these different art activities and workshops that are meant to get people involved in critical discussions, but also show them that anybody can make art. Here's just one of those forms. It's a two-dimensional piece that I'm putting together. It's almost like an abstract expression um, work where it's just layers and layers of buffalo skulls. And each one is individual. So when you look at it, you'll think, how many people actually added to that piece? And I've been fortunate to travel around and share this work and get more engagement involved. Here's a, a picture from Minneapolis. I worked with the Anishinaabe Academy up there, all these little fourth graders. 
We took over their auditorium that day. And they came in and they went wild. They loved making art. And you know how it is to work with kids, right, little ones? <laughs> uh, they, did, they did really awesome, though. Work with our students, our Oscar Hausemar Institute students. Um, they helped me and so did a good, awesome team of artists, Reina, Amy. Um, who else is in here? What's that dude's name that's in between Amber and Amy? That guy needs acknowledgement, too. He's one of the students, I believe. Um, sorry, I don't know everybody. But even Corey's in there. We took over that, I forget what they call it, but the lawn in front of the U.S. Bank Stadium for this project. And we spent two long nights. Man, it was a lot of work to curate that or thing, coordinate that thing. Um, any of you guys who are interested in doing projects like that, uh, visit with Amber, um, pace yourself, because you can get tired quickly. But um, there's many projects. One of the things I'm doing now, our, our pre-COVID, um, was I started to take this concept and started to reach out to the uh, high schools in Pine Ridge Reservation. And I was working with one school, but then once March of this year took place, everything kind of got shifted around, so it's gone hold. But now we have all these different uh, plans for the next couple of years. And it's just trying to juggle this as well as teaching. Like um, Amy had mentioned, I now am an art instructor at my home college, Oglala Lakota College. So I'm trying to be a full-time art instructor and still make time to make art, still make time to make paintings. Here's one of the paintings I collaborated with Michael Tubles on last year. Amber, again, is, is guilty of getting me um, into unstretched canvas. So these mural size painting that's probably about that big right there. Um, and then sharing, again, my, my Buffalo Nation project with all of those who don't have access to studios or arts curriculum. Um, some of my students and some of the community members on our reservation have never did screen printing before. And when you show them a monoprint <coughs> technique and they make their own, they're wowed by it. They love it. You know, it's original artwork and it's beautiful, but they also can take it with them or gift it like most of them do. They gift their, their shirts. They make multiple for, for family at home, you know. So it's something very, I think, encouraging. You know, we have many different designs. This one goes back to that spider web design that Oscar Howell discussed. You know, his aesthetic points that he talks a lot about in his pieces um, derive from the geometric for the deer track, but it could also be the buffalo track, which would be this triangle with a split in the middle. That geometric shape itself, when combined into this column, represents the vertebrae of the backbone. Or the, yeah, the vertebrae of the backbone of the buffalo, that being symbolic of the backbone of the nation, this matrilineal society, the matriarchs, the Unchi buffalo, which also re uh, reflected our Unchi staple in our own by our own family system as well too. So when we share this kind of discussions with, with our young female relatives like this, they, they take that and they claim it. They reclaim that, that um, identity and they put it and they share it and they make shirts like that and they give them to their relatives. And they're, they're building strength, you know, especially in a time when, when it's needed as well too. <clears throat> and I like this piece right here just to show that um, Oscar definitely inspired me in many, many ways how I actually mix paint, how I actually place them onto a picture plane, uh, how I think about what am I gonna put into my statement about my work, uh, how to be a good relative, maybe how to be a, a better, um, I guess, relative to my family, um, how to look out for all my, my students and to give, their, give them my patience and time. 
But really, he also taught me just um, to always remember compassion. You know, think, thinking about his story when he was four years old, and he realized then when he was four years old that he was going to be an artist. But his father was always discouraging and took away his pencil. So he said he would sneak pieces of charcoal from the wood stove and he would draw with those or he would draw in the sand sometimes. I think about this little guy who's making a print and he's putting his ink on with a, a spoon. You know, this could maybe be the next Oscar Howe. You know, that's what I think. So all of the work that I do has kind of, <clears throat> kind of shifted from not just only about me now to looking out for, for those who, who I think um, really, really might be the next great. All right. So I say Wopila. Thank you guys for your time. Thank you guys for being patient and for listening to me tonight. That is my Oscar Howe Memorial Lecture for this year. And that does it for this episode of Five Plane Questions. I want to thank Keith again for uh, this lecture, for sharing his perspective with us on Oscar Howe. And Keith does it with such uh, respect and reverence. It's so wonderful to be able to listen to him. And I want to thank Corey Nedler from the University of South Dakota uh, into making this happen as well. Um, without the, the close relationship that we all have with each other, uh, things like this uh, wouldn't be available to you. So uh, in the spirit of cooperation, thank you so much. Um, now, the Oscar Howe Memorial Lecture is something that's been going on. I think it's in its 32nd year now. And if you haven't attended one of these lectures, uh, you're really missing out. Uh, they happen once a year. And the next one is going to happen uh, on Thursday, September 30th, 2021. And this year, they're going to have Don Monolo. Generally, the artists speak about their careers and stories. Um, Keith took the unselfish view and approach and talked about Oscar Howe, which was absolutely wonderful. Um, but the spirit of it, generally, the artists uh, present about themselves, and it's an amazing experience. And so I would encourage you to make the safe journey to USD to listen to Mr. Monolo uh, speak about his his career and his artwork. Uh, I completely expect to be there myself, uh, social distancing, but if you see me, come say hi. It'd be great to be able to chat with you. Uh, another quick update, um, because we didn't do uh, an interview this week, um, we're going to be coming to you next week. Um, you know, the, the future of the podcast, uh, you know, we're coming up to about 12 more episodes uh, for the season. We should be closing out in late November, early December. And we'll be talking about the future of the podcast um, at some point in the close future. And so I'm pretty excited about that conversation. Um, you know, and as far as the museum goes, uh, the Northern Plains from Artists is closed now. Um, the, the exhibition is closed. And we're closing out the other exhibition as well. And it's going to mark the first time uh, in quite some time at the Plains Art Museum where we actually don't have an Indigenous exhibition up. But we will be back in June of 2022 with an exhibition from Crow Shadow. And that's going to be with master printer Amanda Haidt and Steve Jacobs, uh, at the, both at the museum there. And we are, we're putting together one fantastic and outstanding exhibition for you. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, that will be coming in um, in the middle of next year. So those are the updates that I have for you. Uh, we'll be back next week, um, hopefully with another interview. Uh, we'll see how that goes. We're working on a few things, and so things are a little fluid at the moment. More importantly, I want to thank you for spending your time and joining us, listening to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. So please join us next week. Uh, hopefully, as we speak with another incredible person, uh, we will have programming for you for sure. 
I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on Canna, that's C-A-N-A-A, Creativity Among Native American Artists, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, across social media, and at the plainsart.org website. There you can see our programming, past videos, and these podcasts. If you have a suggestion for someone for me to interview, please look us up on Facebook and message me. I'd really like to hear from you. All right, take care, be safe, and we will see you next week. This has been an 11 Warrior Arts production.